Well, please turn in your Bibles to John 8. John chapter 8. This morning we are taking a break from our series in Genesis for the next few weeks in order to focus on what is our mission together as a church. As we reflect back on the past couple of years, it's easy to see now, although it's, it's never easy to see when we're going through things, is it? But it's easy to see now after the past couple of years that we've been in a period of transition as a church and God has been at work in our church to, to mold us and to shape us into his image and to make us more like him. And as we're in the midst of things, it's not easy to see what God is up to at times. And isn't that the case in our own lives personally? Sometimes as you're going through difficulties, you're going through periods, you're going through transitions in your life, you, you can't quite see what God's at work doing, but you can look back and reflect and see that, yeah, the Lord has been at work preparing us, molding us, and shaping us. And during the course of the last couple of years, as you know, or you may not know actually, um, there have been a lot of changes in our family of churches that we're a part of. And um, Jim Britt, our, our former lead pastor, he was serving significantly in an extra local capacity in 2009 and 2010. And about two years ago, we thought, oh, maybe the Lord is, is leading Jim to relocate to Florida, pursue further gospel ministry there, to build up to support local churches, enable him to minister in the Caribbean more effectively. And we began to take steps in that direction, but we didn't bring it to you because we had not yet seen that the Lord was confirming that. And then all of a sudden it seemed that, no, things seemed to shut down. And so we shelved the idea. And then at one point the idea was proposed that maybe God would have me and my wife plant a church. And we explored that possibility last May. And so things were heading in that direction from May until about September. And then in September it, it seemed to be clear that no, in fact, the Lord was leading Jim to plant the church instead of me. So we engaged the care group leaders. It became clear by the, by the middle of October really and when we brought it to the church that it was the Lord's will for Jim to plant the church and I should remain here and we should switch roles really. And so we announced that to the whole church five months ago. I can't believe it's been five months. I was counting down the weeks. It's been 20 weeks since we announced that change and we've been in a period of really God-ordained and understandable holding pattern of sorts as is normal for, for those times. And as I've talked to the care group leaders and talked to the advisory team it seems clear to us all now that this has really all been from God. And so we're grateful and we can see God's hand at work in hindsight because you rarely see God's hand at work as you're going through things. But it's good to see that, yes, God's hand has been at work in and through all of this. And, and I'm really excited about the future. We are excited about the future of what God has for us as a local church. And for me, God has used the past two years really to strengthen my conviction, to strengthen our convictions about what our local church is called to be and called to do. We really believe that God has been preparing our local church for a time like this. And I'm excited because often God uses transitions like this um, to, to breathe fresh life into churches. And so I'm, I'm excited, looking forward to that, to, to see what will God do in our church? How will God use our church in the local community? How will God use each and every one of us as he builds his church, as he is at work in the life of his church, how will God reignite our own hearts as disciples of Jesus Christ? How will God help us all grow? How will God all help us all go into the world around us and make disciples? And so this morning, really, we're going to be focusing on our mission together as a church. And I can't believe that this coming summer is going to be nine years since the church was planted. God has done a lot in this local church. 
looking out and seeing all the faces here. And, and I wish I could connect you up with all the different stories here with, with each and every family member, with each and every person here. They have a story of where God has been at work. Many of you have been here for the last nine years. Some have just arrived. And for some, it's your first Sunday. But I believe the Lord would have us all use this change to, to help us catch a fresh vision. That's what, that's what we want for you this morning. We want, want you to catch a fresh vision from the Lord for the place that he has for you, the place that he has for you here, the place he has for you in your community, the place he has for you as you pursue him and as you grow in Christ. And in one sense, none of this is new because, you know, Jesus... Jesus has called his church to the same mission. So it's not a new mission in one sense. But I think it's, it's a radical mission for us. I want us to, to grasp hold of the fact that um, we're, we're not called to be ho-hum about being disciples of Jesus Christ. If that's not a radical truth to you this morning, I would pray that it would become that. That you would grasp a picture of the revolutionary mission that, that we are called to. And our simple, but it's really a radical mission as a church and as a people of God is that we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That may not seem radical in the Greenville metropolitan area, if you call this a metropolitan area. That may not seem radical that we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. But it really is a radical call because he's called us out of darkness. And he's called us to live not for ourselves, not for our own purposes, not for our own desires, but to live for him. And if you look at the world around you, everyone else is living for their own calls, living for themselves. So the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is still a radical call. It was a radical call several thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus is walking by a group of fishermen and he said, come, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped their nets. They left everything they had and they followed him. It was a radical call when Jesus was passing by Levi, who later became known as Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a criminal. He was corrupt, really. And Jesus said, follow me. And he left. He left it all behind. And this morning, for each and every one of us, I hope we grasp that our mission together, it starts with the radical call of Jesus on each and every one of our lives. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to leave all and follow him. We're called to pursue him wholeheartedly, to follow him with all that we are, to learn from him, to keep him in our gaze, to keep him in our view, to never lose sight of the Master. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, growing in Christ and making disciples of Christ. It's not complex. It's not even a new mission. But I propose that it's, it's a radical mission and I, and I want you to get excited again about, about the purposes that God has for each and every one of you if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're a true disciple, if you have come to faith, if you know Jesus... He's called you to something greater than you. He's called you to something greater than each and every one of us. He's called you to be a disciple. And that's exciting. We have a mission together. Everything we do as a church, every ministry, everything that we do, 
Church, let's commit to refocus everything we do as a church, every ministry. Let it flow from the mission that we have together, being called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, growing in Christ and making disciples. Today we're going to briefly unpack the first part of our mission statement together from John 8, 30 to 36, because we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Look down in your Bibles in John 8, 30 to 36, please. Let's read God's word together. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as needy people. We come to you as flawed disciples, no different than the early disciples. Sometimes we don't always understand, we don't always see your purposes. Sometimes we can't always make sense of life. But God, I pray that you would reinforce this truth in our hearts that if we abide in your word, that we are truly your disciples. May that bring comfort and encouragement to your true disciples who are doubting and wavering this morning. God, will that truth also bring conviction to those who do not know you this morning? And God, for those who are not truly your disciples and who are faking it on the outside, Lord, I pray that Lord, you would bring them to you. Father, thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus. Thank you that you came to set us free. And for those you set free, we are free indeed. So Lord, I I pray that you would breathe freedom into your people again this morning. I pray for me as I'm weak. I pray that you would strengthen me as I speak. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are weak in hearing your word, I pray that you'd open up our ears and strengthen us to be able to hear, Lord. Give us alert minds. Help us stay awake, Lord, and focused on you so we might not lose sight of you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the chances are pretty good that when we were children, when, when most of you, when, when I was a child, the chances are pretty good that you didn't anticipate you would be who you are today. It's a pretty good likelihood, isn't it? Chances are pretty good that you didn't grow up thinking, yes, I'm going to be a tire engineer. <laughs> no offense, Dan. That probably wasn't a lifelong dream, though, I'm guessing. Although it's a, it's a noble calling. <laughs> you know, I, I doubt that you thought, yes, I'm going to be a data processor. I can't wait when I grow up. I get to work with numbers. I'm going to be an accountant. What kid wants to grow up being an accountant? 
no offense to all the accountants in the room, but I would doubt that when you were four, you thought, I want to be an accountant because I love numbers. Um, probably not, although it's a noble calling and a noble profession. Some rare exceptions, but for the most part, the majority of us had no idea about who we'd be when we grew up. And I know when I was four years old, I wanted to be an officer in the military. The Vietnam War had just ended a few years earlier. My dad had, had fortunately enlisted and gone in the military prior to the war. And, but my best friend's dad had just come back from, from Vietnam and was telling us tales and stories. And I remember that I thought it was the most noble thing um, to serve my country. And it is a noble calling. Obviously, I didn't end up doing that. Later on, I, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> really. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to play drums for some heavy metal band or something. I, 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 my <laughs> One of my heroes was John Bonham. I don't know if anybody knows who that is, but um, not, not a guy you really want to be a hero, but... Um, Later on, I wanted to fly jets, and I papered my walls with pictures of military jets all over the place, and pilots, and how about you? How about you? What did you dream of? What did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wish I could sit down with each and every one of you and hear your stories, and hear what you thought you would be when you grew up, and you know, you can't see in your life how God is at work, but I know for me, I can look back and see, you know, all those, all those things that I didn't get that I thought I really wanted, that I thought would be best for me, that was really God's provision in sparing me and keeping me and, and moving me and shaping me into where he wanted me to be. For a group this size, I bet there'd be some really diverse ideas about what you wanted to be when you grew up. You know, maybe some of you really are doing what you thought you would be, but I, I bet it's, it's precious few, really. For some, maybe you saw yourself doing something you viewed as, as noble or heroic. Like when I first had dreams of being a military officer, I thought that was noble and heroic. And it, and it is. Maybe you had other noble or heroic visions. And You know, for, for most of us, we don't grow up thinking, I want to be a disciple. Although really, isn't that the most noble calling? No matter what your profession, no matter what your occupation... We're called to something that's greater than our occupation. We're, we're called to have an identity that's not related to our occupation. We're called to uh, find worth not in what we do, but in who we do it for and in who we're following while we do it. It's not about whether you're a doctor or an engineer, or if you pick up trash, if whatever your occupation is, you have a high and noble calling in each and every one of those occupations. Because your calling is as a disciple of Jesus Christ. There can't be a more noble, there can't be a greater calling. Maybe you despise what you're doing currently. I would encourage you, don't do that. God has you where you are, and he has you for a noble purpose. To be a disciple in each and every walk of life that you find yourself in. No matter what your occupation or profession is, whether you work for a bank or um, Fortis riders, like a lot of the guys in the room here do. No matter what you find yourself doing, God has a noble calling. You see, none of those occupations, there's nothing wrong with any of those occupations or dreams, but, 
That's not our purpose alone. See, God has a purpose for each and every one of us as disciples of Jesus Christ and to fulfill that purpose as we carry out whatever occupation he's gifted us in. There is no sacred occupation versus a secular occupation. That distinction is not found in the Bible. You see, each and every one of us are called to be disciples. Each and every one of us has a sacred occupation. Each and every one of us has a sacred calling. You know, I don't like it when people call me a minister, not because, you know, it's weird, but um, <laughs> because I don't think it's biblical. You see, God, God called me as a pastor to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So really, each and every one of you is called to be a disciple, a minister of God's grace. Each and every one of you is called to be a minister. Maybe not in the sense that the world means, but really, each and every one of you is called to be a minister of God's grace. Each and every one of you is called to be a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ who has their eyes fixed on Christ. You're called to be a disciple who ministers Christ to the world. Really, the main idea that I want to bring to you this morning is that true disciples, true disciples of Jesus, they abide in him and they are truly free. True disciples of Jesus abide in him and are truly free. And we see that in the text this morning. When he says, if you abide in my word. Look down in your Bible in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then I love in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, true disciples of Jesus abide in him and are truly free. If we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I think we need to start at a really basic place. If our mission together is to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then we have to really answer the question, what is a disciple? What does that mean? It's not a word you hear a lot about in your workplace. Most people who are, are not Christians, who are not disciples of, of Christ, don't have any idea what, what, what a disciple means. But Scripture defines that for us. Jesus defines that for us when he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, my followers, my learn, those who learn from me. Those who take from him his yoke, his burden. When Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him in verse 31, he was saying something truly significant for each and every one of us. Something that applies to each and every person here. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. Whether your belief is real or unreal. These verses apply to you. And what Jesus is saying here is that being a true disciple is more than just mere belief. Being a true disciple is more than just mere belief. It's, it's not enough to believe in Jesus alone. You see, the Jews here who had said they believed in Jesus, and they did believe in Jesus, later on we find out they weren't truly his disciples. That kind of makes us uncomfortable. Wait a minute, so they believed in Jesus, but they weren't truly his disciples? So, what does it mean to truly be a disciple? So Jesus answers that question that they didn't even know they should be asking. Those who abide in his word are truly his disciples. And 
This little phrase, truly my disciples, it means something significant. It means there's not just two kinds of people in the world. There's not just believers and unbelievers. There's not just disciples and non-disciples. Jesus is saying there's, there's true disciples. What that means is that there's, there's those who look like disciples on the outside who are unreal disciples, untrue disciples. Three kinds of people, those who are not disciples, those who are true or real disciples, and those who are untrue disciples. Because there are some, and these Jews he was speaking to, and throughout John it's a theme, who are not truly his disciples, who appeared to be his disciples, who believed in him, but weren't truly his disciples because they were not abiding in his word. In the 80s, fake Rolex Rolex watches were all the rage, and uh, I remember visiting Washington, D.C., and I was a young man, and, and um, I went down to Chinatown, and I saw this guy had this table of these really cool-looking watches out, and I thought it was pretty awesome. So um, they had a Rolex, and oh my goodness, it was $40 for a Rolex. This is a great deal, um, I thought. <laughs> it wasn't a great deal at all, because obviously you guys all know it. it wasn't a real Rolex. It looked like one on the outside. It even said Rolex, Oster Perpetual, or whatever they say on the bottom. I don't, I've never really owned a real Rolex watch, and I... Really doubt I ever will. But um, it, it, it looked nice on the outside. It had that big, chunky, thick band. And, and it, it looked genuine. It looked, it looked nice. And it looked real. So I bought it. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, it looked decent on the outside. It, it said Rolex. It felt like a Rolex. It even worked for a day or two. <laughs> and... Um, and I hoped it was a Rolex, and even though I wasn't really sure, but I, I became very sure once it broke and I popped open the back. And I don't, I don't know what the parts were in there, but they kind of all sprang out when I opened up the back of the thing. And, and it became very clear that it wasn't genuine because at its core, its parts, its, its, its insides, they were not genuine Oster Perpetual Movement or whatever they say there. It wasn't the real thing. And it's that way with some who appear to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's possible for some to believe in Jesus and to look good on the outside. To have all the appearances externally of being a true disciple of Jesus, yet not be truly his disciples. That's an uncomfortable truth, isn't it? It's an uncomfortable theme you see throughout John. And it makes us ask, which one are we? Which one am I? Am I, am I a true disciple? This message isn't, isn't meant to cause doubt or stir up unbelief in your hearts. Actually, for those who are truly abiding in his word and are true disciples, it's meant to, to bring you assurance that yes, indeed, you truly are his disciples. For those who are the fake Rolexes, who look good on the outside, but in the core you know that you're not abiding in him. This message isn't meant to condemn. It's meant to say, come to Jesus. Be his disciple. Be his genuine disciple. Be the real deal. At your roots, be rooted and grounded and abiding in his word. Jesus has far more for you than just outward external appearances. He has a deep and abiding relationship that he wants with you. For those who aren't even faking it, who don't want to be disciples, this message is for you as well to encourage you that you're enslaved. You don't even know it, but you're enslaved to sin. 
and you need to be set free. And here's the good news. The, the son came to set captives free. And that's good news for all of us this morning. So please don't experience condemnation. Please experience encouragement from these verses as Jesus meant them to be. What Jesus is saying is that believing in him alone doesn't make somebody a true disciple. You see, many people, it says, many people had come to Jesus and they saw the miracles that he did. They saw the signs that he did. They believed he was who he said he was. Maybe they were drawn in because of a friend or a family member. Maybe they're drawn in because of the large crowds that went along. And so they came and they heard him teach and preach. They saw that he, he gave bread. He, he, he made bread from five loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000. It didn't make sense. How could that be? This, this must truly be the Messiah. And they believed in him. Like the parable of the sower, they sprang up quickly. They seemed to be true disciples. They believed. They grasped the word. They sprang up quickly. But when the trials of life, when difficulties came, because their roots were not abiding in him, they fell away. They weren't true disciples. In the case of the Jews, in these verses, it says they believed in him. These Jews were not true disciples. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because later on in these verses, not only is he referring to them as slaves, but in verse 44, if you look down your Bible for a moment, this is pretty harsh. He says they're of their father, the devil. Okay, they believed in him, many, and these Jews he's speaking to have believed in him, but they weren't truly his disciples. What he's saying is that it's not enough to just believe who Jesus is. This isn't real belief. It's not being a real disciple. It's not enough to believe that Jesus was miraculously born to Mary in a virgin birth and placed there in, in, in Mary's womb by God himself. It's not enough to believe that Jesus lived a sinless life and perfectly resisted every temptation that he faced. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now you must believe all those things to be born again, but belief alone, mere belief, is not enough. It's not enough to believe that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law in every way and he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law because he did. It's not enough to just believe that he suffered and died in our place and that he bore the wrath of God that we deserved. You must believe that. You must place your faith in Jesus. But you must have the faith that abides. Jesus is saying we must have the kind of faith that abides in his word, a kind of faith that's demonstrated by abiding in his word. And he gives us a test here that's, that's meant to help us have assurance if you are a true believer whether you're abiding in his word, because he says that true disciples abide in my word. True disciples abide in his word. In John 20, 31, John is telling us that really the whole purpose that he wrote this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. All these verses, the entire book was really written for, for one purpose, and these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have the abiding kind of belief that brings life. Not the kind of belief that springs up quickly and is not rooted and grounded in him, but the kind of belief that finds good soil that abides when temptations, when trials strike. Now, that doesn't mean a perfect belief because none of us have that. 
And we can't even place our faith in our own faith. It's impossible to do because we can never have enough faith on our own ability. But the good news is, it's not about us believing enough or us abiding on our own. No, this is a test to say, if you've been abiding in him, if you continued believing in him through trials, through circumstances, you can have faith that you're my true disciple. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that we have assurance that if we've remained abiding, no matter how fickle and how faulty our faith is, no matter how, how much we fail, if we've remained abiding, if we desire to abide in him still, we can be encouraged that we're truly his disciples. When Jesus says, if you abide in my word, he means if you abide in him. Because really, his word, his word is how he reveals himself. So he's talking about abiding in his word, abiding in him, abiding in everything that Jesus taught about himself. Jesus told us in John as well that he's the bread of life. Earlier, we took communion this morning. We were outwardly symbolizing the fact that as true believers, we have to eat of his flesh and drink his blood. We must trust in his sacrifice alone to give us life. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, 53, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. It's not a literal eating of flesh and a literal drinking of blood. The Jews misunderstood that. And actually, after this scripture, many who had believed in him fell away. because This is a hard saying. Who can believe that we have to eat him and drink him? This doesn't make sense. And so many who had believed in him fell away after these verses as well. What does that mean? It looks like placing our trust in his sacrifice for us. It looks like placing our hope, our faith, our belief, our security to stand before God in his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out in order to satisfy the righteous requirement of God's law. It means trusting that our our very life comes from his sacrifice for us. That's abiding in him however flawed that is, because I know that I need to be reminded. I'm, I'm glad we take communion at least once a month, and this month actually we're going to be doing it twice in a few more weeks, and I'm glad for the continual reminders because I need to be reminded because I forget. But isn't it good that each time we have communion we can say, you know what? Oh, that's what I want. I want to feast on him. Do you find that in your hearts, saints, that you desire Oh, Lord, I've been too long not feasting on you. Lord, I want to abide in you. You're truly his disciples, if that's the case. It means not are we perfect in our trust, perfect in our holding on to him, but are we, are we continually saying, God, I want to hold on to you. I want to, I want to keep you. I want to abide in you. I want to keep my life in this truth, no matter how many times I forget it and fail. It means that when we're faced with the question that Peter was in John 6, 67, when Jesus 
asked. See, after these verses, I mean, he said, this is hard. You can do this. So many left him. And then right after that, Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples. And I think he turns to each and every one of us. And he looks at us and says, do you want to go away also? And in your heart, like the disciples, can you answer together? I, I love Peter's answer. Let this be our heart cry as well. Just like flawed Peter, who, who denied Christ later, he, 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 was, he was abiding in Christ. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It doesn't mean we have a flawless belief. Peter denied Christ and was forgiven. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But Jesus equates abiding in his word with abiding in him. And he tells them that the reason that he told them that if they, he, they abide in his commandments, that they can be sure that they can abide in him. In John 15, 40, he says, so that their joy may be full. This morning, saints, I want your joy to be full in him. Knowing that if you have abided in him, you're truly his disciples. You see, being a disciple will be seen in the fact that you abide in him. Abiding in him doesn't make you his disciple, but it's evidence of that. If you've been through ups and downs in your life like we all go through, and yet you still desire the bread of life, if you still can say with Peter, Lord, where else should we go? We're tempted. It doesn't mean we're not tempted, right? We, we're tempted to look to other things, to look to other areas, to, to, to seek fulfillment in, in other things. But in the end, if we're abiding in him, we're truly his disciples. It means to, to deep down know that you wouldn't want to go anywhere else other than Jesus and to, and to live that way. knowing that he holds you. If you believe this way, he, here's the good news. No matter what doubts come, because they will, if you've not yet experienced doubts as a believer in Jesus Christ, then it's, it's merely a matter of time. Doubts will come. But no matter what doubts will come, no matter how you fail, because you will, you can be sure you're really a disciple if, you've, if you're abiding in him. You're abiding in his word. In our main text, though, as well, in John 8, look down again for a moment. Verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This is the kind of life that we're called to. We're called to freedom in Christ. We're called to be free as his disciples. And look up in verse 32 for a moment. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth? Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And true disciples, this is our last point this morning, true disciples know the truth and he sets us free. Jesus is the truth who sets us free. And that's the good news for us this morning. It's a radical thing. You can be free 
from bondage to slavery, you can, I mean, from bondage to sin and slavery to sin, you can be free from those things which have, have kept you enslaved. You can be free from sinful desires. Now, obviously, the, the nature, sin nature remains, but you don't have to submit to it any longer. You've been set free from him so that you can please God now. You couldn't, you couldn't please God on your own before, but now whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You can live for him. You really can live as his disciple. You can be free to learn from him, to abide in him, to serve him, to love him. And that's wonderful news. <laughs> in John 14, Jesus' disciples were a little confused still. They believed and they wanted to believe, but they didn't fully understand things yet. And all too often, that's us too, isn't it? We, we believe, we want to believe, but we don't understand things fully. I love that we're given pictures like, like in John 14. Jesus had just told them in chapter 13 of John that where he was going. And he said, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you're going to follow me later. And Peter Love Peter. <laughs> He's confused. He doesn't get it. He asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Well, he just told you that you can't, okay? If you believe he's the Messiah, then you, you should trust that he says you can't follow him. He probably knows everything. So, so Peter, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I don't want to wait. I'll give up my life for you. Jesus says, actually, you're going you're gonna to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. And then Thomas, he's, he's confused as well. And in, in John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have not, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. I love Thomas. <laughs> Thomas says to him, Lord, you know, God, we, we actually don't know. <laughs> we, um, you said you know where you're going. We know where you're going, but Lord, we do not know where you are going. <laughs> He's taking on himself to correct Jesus. How you think we know. We have no clue. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, and here he says to all of his disciples, I, I am the way. I am the way and the truth. Notice that word we have in our passage in John 8 is, this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We all want to be free, don't we? The heart of every human desires freedom. The heart of every human knows that freedom is right and good. That we need to be free. That we were created to be free. The problem is we don't know what freedom is. We think freedom is, is having our own way. Doing our own thing. Calling the shots on our own. But Jesus says, no, if if those things are sinful, you think you're free. You're not. You're a slave. But I want to really set you free. I want to give you true freedom as a disciple. I want, to, I want you to be a true disciple and so experience true freedom. 
as you abide in him, as you experience Jesus as the truth. Ever since Adam's sin, we've all been enslaved to sin. In fact, Jesus told the Jews that anyone who commits sin in this verse is a slave to sin. The Jews are confused. They're like, well, we're not enslaved. We're children of Abraham. He says, no, you really are. You don't get it. But Jesus came to set us free from the bondage that we have to sin. And apart from Jesus, we're not able to stop sinning. That's the bad news. But Jesus came to set us free from that bondage. The ownership that sin had over us. He came to break the power of sin. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what does. He came to set you free indeed to break the bonds that once held you. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That's exciting. He called you to freedom. Jesus alone is the truth. He alone is the way to God. He alone is the life. And he was telling his disciples that he is the truth. There is no other way to God except through him. No other way brings us freedom. No other way brings us true life. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He alone is the one who defines what is true. Maybe this morning you find that you've been believing a lie. That freedom is found in something else other than Jesus. But there's only, there's only one way to experience freedom. That's through Jesus. He's the truth. And who he sets free is free indeed. Maybe you've been believing the lie that said true freedom is having no restraints. But the truth is that Jesus' commandments, they, they keep us safe like a rope is meant to cl- keep a climber safe on the side of a, of a cliff. You know, the average climber, now maybe there's some uh, extremely dumb climbers who climb without ropes and, and they make it most of the time. Eventually, they don't. <laughs> the average climber would not be completely free to climb if he didn't have a rope to keep him secure. It, 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 it would limit his ability, it would limit his freedoms. I used to rock climb when I was younger and um, it, it actually, it gave me great freedom. I used to be afraid of heights prior to that but I had great freedom as I had the rope and the harness on and I stepped off the cliff because I knew I wasn't going to die because something was holding me. The world tries to tell us we can have freedom through, through taking off all the restraints. Um, freedom through drugs maybe or, or drinking or sex or, or just self-indulgence or food or whatever, whatever your idol might be. But see, trusting in those things only leads to emptiness and death, and so it's not real freedom, right? If, if you are engaging in something that's going to lead to your death, you're not really free. You just don't know that you're in bondage and you're going to die. Real freedom doesn't result in, in death. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He came to set us free. If doing something brings death to you, no matter how free it feels, you aren't free because ultimately it's going to control you, whether you like it or not. I like the way that John Piper defines true freedom in his comments on these verses. He says, you are free, are fully free, completely free, free indeed, when you have the desire, the ability 
and the opportunity to do what will make you happy, not now, but in a thousand years. You know the things we think that will give us happiness in this life? Boy, in a thousand years from now, we'll be thinking, yeah, I really wish I had that Jeep Grand Cherokee. That would have made me really happy. Sorry, I, I sold my car recently, so I'm thinking about cars. Um, <laughs> whatever that is. It's, or, we could, or we could say, you are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you no regrets forever. We can have no regrets forever. You might have regrets about your occupation. You might have regrets about what your finances look like. None of those things will keep you from being free. Living for Jesus, abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, being His true disciples, that, that is where you find true freedom. Jesus gives us the opportunity to abide in him. He gives us a desire to live for him. He gives us the ability to live for him and abide in him. And apart from Jesus, we're not free to choose eternal life and live for him. In fact, we don't want to live for him on our own. So if, you, if you're finding that you want to live for him, I would submit that you're, you're wanting to abide in him. Imagine if you wanted to fly an F-18 fighter jet like I did when I was growing up, or maybe now for those a little bit younger, it's the Joint Strike Fighter. Uh, I think there is now. Imagine you, you want to fly a jet, an extremely powerful, fast jet plane. And imagine you want to do that, and, but if you're not given the opportunity to either be in the military or be extremely rich to to buy passage on a, or maybe somehow famous enough doing a movie to fly along with those or something. And there's no way you're going to be free to fly that jet. Not a chance. The military, the army is not going to, the, the Air Force is not just going to give you, hey, you know what, here's an F-22 Raptor. Sure, feel free, have fun. I don't think so. You're not going to have the opportunity. You're not free to do that even though you desire to do that. Or maybe let's imagine that somehow you get the opportunity to fly this awesome jet, this incredible piece of machinery. You get the opportunity to fly it and you want to fly it but you have no training and you have no clue what you're doing. Well, they're still not going to let you fly it. You're not free to fly that jet. You don't have the ability. There's no way that you'd be free. Now, let's, let's assume that what if you did? What if you had the training? You had, you had the ability. You had the desire. You had the opportunity But unbeknownst to you, once you go up in the plane and you're sitting in the second seat there, the pilot turns the controls over to you, you don't realize that something has gone horribly wrong in all the systems and now the controls are out and they failed and the engines are not working. But you don't know. It's you're like, yes, this is awesome. I've got the training. I've got the desire. I've got the opportunity. And you grab the stick and you're going down. No matter how free you feel, you're going to die and you're not really free. You're, you're confined to a death trap. You're, you're certain to plunge into a death spiral. No matter how free you feel, you're going to die. In our lives, though, Jesus gives us the opportunity. And if you have the desire, Jesus has given you, the Holy Spirit has placed the desire within you 
to want to be free in him. And you don't just have the opportunity and the desire. He's given you the ability to respond to him. Each and every one here has the ability to respond. If, if you're hearing this word, if you're wanting to believe in him, if you're desiring to believe in him, if he's given you an opportunity and, and you can step out in faith. He gives us true life and freedom. We can be free forever. Isn't that good news? It, it makes this world pale in comparison, doesn't it? We can be free forever. All these things we're so concerned about here and now, we can be free forever. And where does that freedom come? It doesn't come through your dream job, your dream profession. It doesn't come through looking good on the outside, through perfectly obeying the law on the outside and having it look right, looking like you have the ideal family with, when you know inside you're falling apart and you just you want reality. We can be true, truly free forever. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This is no freedom that's temporary. He promises his real freedom for all those who are truly his disciples. True discipleship in Christ, it guarantees true freedom. Our desire, our mission as a church is to be a church full of real disciples. If you're a real disciple, I want you to be excited about that. You've got true freedom. You've been called to a, a noble and higher calling than whatever it is you find yourself doing day to day. Because in each and every day, whatever you find yourself doing day to day, you can carry out the purpose that God has for you. And that's being his true disciple, abiding in him through thick and thin, no matter what. When doubts come, when, when you fail, you can abide in him and to be truly free so that nothing in this world can encumber you. Our God-given mission is to live daily as disciples, aware of our identity in him, abiding in his word, living for him. In the New Testament, the word for disciple or disciples, I would add a little count. Um, the Greek word behind that for disciple or disciples, it's mentioned over 150 times in the New Testament. I, th I think there's a message for us in that. He wants us to view ourselves as his disciples, as his followers, as those who learn from him and abide in him. What it really means to be a Christian, there's not two classes of Christians. You have a Christians and then those who are really abiding in him. No, if you are a Christian, you are abiding in him. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Learning from him, staying close to him, living for him and if we live this way, if we live aware of Jesus, if we live as we're truly devoted to him, following him, wanting to follow him, wanting to learn from him, wanting to live for him, it really should change everything we do and say. If you become ho-hum about being a disciple of Jesus, let me encourage you. There can't be a greater, more noble, higher calling. You can't be called to anything greater. You're called to be a follower, a learner of Jesus. You're called to abide in him. Being a Christian is not living like a free radical for your own pleasures, for, but it is living a radical life. And if you really get your calling as a disciple, it'll transform everything you do. It'll transform how you view everybody around you. And you want them to be disciples of Christ too because you want them to have the freedom that you have. And it'll inspire you. God, God I... 
I'm flawed, I fail, but thank you that you set me free, that I'm a disciple, that no matter what happens and no matter what problems come, no matter what hardships come, no matter how I fail, I'm sure, I'm secure in you, I'm abiding in you. And that's what really matters. Our petty desires, our, our lesser desires. We, we, it's not wrong to want to want to be successful in the world, but it pales in comparison to the fact that now, what does it look like to be successful? It looks like abiding in him, being a disciple in him in whatever you're doing. It's the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. Imagine if we lived, imagine if we lived every day with the opportunity to follow him, to live with an awareness of the presence of God wherever we go. You don't have to imagine, we, we have that opportunity. Imagine if we actually live continually aware. Let me ask you, do you live aware? I mean, now obviously we can't all continually because we, we're feeble, our minds are weak. But do you, do you live genuinely aware of a desire to be conformed to his image? If you, if you do, you're truly his disciples. If you live with an ability to, to live in a manner pleasing to him, relying on him, Imagine that. Well, what you do if you're truly his disciple? You actually now have the ability to please him, to be conformed in his image, to rely on him. What a revolution it would be if each and every one of us grasped our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ. It would turn the world upside down. It would change the way you talk. It would change our desires. It would change the way we look at people around us, how we view circumstances. Well, if the, the band will come forward, we'll just have one final song and then we'll dismiss. And I'll go ahead and stand up. We don't have to earn or keep his favor. That's not what these verses are saying. It's saying that for all those who put their trust in Jesus, he has given us his favor. He has forever forgiven you if you've placed your trust in Christ alone. Here's the good news. He's forever forgiven you. He has forever redeemed you. He's forever removed God's wrath from you. He's forever taken the condemnation that you deserved. He's forever set you free. He's forever made us righteous in His sight. He's made us born again and given us life eternal in Him. And it says that no one can take us from the Father's hand. Doesn't that make you want to live as a disciple? Father, I pray that that You'd enable each and every person here to abide in You. Father, those who do not know You, I pray that You would bring conviction and You would bring a desire to be set free by you, to believe in you, place their hope and faith and abide in you and follow you truly, to be rooted and grounded in you. And I pray for those who are fake disciples, unreal disciples, that you would bring them to knowledge of you, to be rooted and abiding in you so they can be truly free. Not freedom that's found in externals, but freedom that's found in living for you humbly and simply as a disciple. And Father, for all those who are truly your disciples, I pray that you would encourage us this morning.